Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MC Anime. I'm MC Anime, and I have a special uh, guest with me today. Oh, I speak, hey, what's up everybody? My name's Andrew Davis, and uh, I'm happy to be here, and I'm super excited. And uh, briefly uh, discuss your particular business that you have. So I run a company called Pop Anime Comics, which is a website where I write anime, comics, pop culture, and I do a two podcasts, and soon enough be three, where I, on my first show, Pop Anime Comics Lounge, I interview a lot of people in the voice acting world, the comic world, the wrestling world, um, and typically people who are what are known as industry professionals, and then I started another show as a result of COVID, and called Conversations in Pop Culture that is more of a live show and that deals with people who are more in the indie sector and are not as prominent in that entire world of pop culture and that's kind of what I do and yeah, so that's kind of my business and I'm in the middle of doing a Kickstarter and I'm 76% funded and yeah, I just like talking about pop culture. Yeah, I think that's really understandable because the medium is very diverse and gives various, not only various avenues, but all different forms of entertainment and different age groups. Yeah, I mean, I love it, and I deal with a lot of different people from a lot of different age groups, and it's just a lot of fun, and you know what it is? I'm making money doing it, and I'm having a blast right now with it, and uh, it's kind of fun, and uh, these are my hobbies, so I love wrestling, I love anime, I love pop culture, I love comic books, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, and a lot of interview work, because you have to, if I'm going to spend hours every single week, 20 plus hours on top of my regular job doing this, I might as well do something that I love. And on top of that, I also run an eBay business where I buy and sell comics. And when I'm interviewing a lot of people in the comic world, I'm getting insight information during my interviews right from the source. And so that's kind of my whole jam. And then I pick up on trends and my podcast business deals with my eBay business that affects me as an investor in the stock market and everything is sort of lined up really nicely in what I have going on. So obviously I figured out a way how to crack the code for lack of yeah. a better word. And you know, even if I haven't cracked the code on my podcast necessarily, like, you know, viewing ship and all that stuff. But I think with mine I just want to use the podcast just to talk and if people over time join it that's the goal that I want to achieve and then I can grow like monetization or sponsorships if I have enough people to benefit such a platform so it's funny actually because I don't have a large platform Mm -hmm. um, but I'm monetized and the reason why is that I have a customer base with in the comic world that really needs printing for their books and so I have a printer as a sponsor and it's a common myth that you need a large sponsor or a large following to have a sponsor in reality you just need the right people so that's the whole thing and I'm figuring that out right now 
and what I've learned in the last you know six months is that you just need a very small group of people to bring you know your sponsor money and I'm in a situation where my sponsor has large orders and they're dealing with you know three to four grand per order versing a hundred dollar order and so i only need to bring my sponsor x amount of people because they're dealing with such large orders and when somebody's ordering you know six seven grand on a print run you know my sponsor's paying me significantly less and then i get a tax saying hey how do you have a 12x rate of return well i have a 12x rate of return because yeah, I'm dealing with a high-end product, and that's something that people, I think, don't understand about that and yeah. how monetization works, but it's kind of cool, and it's a real crash course yeah. when you get involved in it, and uh, apparently a lot of people have lied about having a big following because that is not true. It's the right type of following. It's the right type of fans. Yeah. It's understanding that, you know, I'm really big into metal cards. If somebody has a sponsor, I'm their customer, yeah. and you have, hey, I got a limited 50 edition metal card, you know, all of a sudden, which is just an item, mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden, I'm your customer, and I'm going to be a buyer of that item. So I just think that a lot of people have misconceptions about a lot of cool stuff out there. Yeah, I know. Like, I know no, like I don't really have like to have a sponsor for me. I'll have to have just enough following to make that the sponsor gets paid, and then whatever percentage I would get from that. But I don't have that. Like I don't really have a. I barely have a following at all. So that's what I need to build with my particular podcast. Ah, see, 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 I think, I think that, that if you tapped on and knocked on enough doors, mm -hmm. I think you'd get a sponsor, I really do, and I think that, that, you know, you would be able to, you know, be monetized, and I think it would happen, and I think yeah. that, you know, a lot of people just don't go for it, and well, I just asked. Well, those is monetizing routes that I have within the platforms I host on po on the podcast, so that is that route. Also, Podcorn is another one that, like, you can just ask for sponsorships, and they typically will give you the sponsorship. But with me, I really think, you know, those avenues are great. I think the probably the best avenue is getting to, like, a, a licensing agreement or... Like a shop. Like if I can get in, like open up a shop, that shop could be possibly be profitable because there's always percentage and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I just had a private sponsorship and that's kind of how I went about it where I just reached out to a company and I had a private, I reached out through an email and that's how that was dealt with. So I didn't go through anybody as far as, um, you know, you know, um, uh, any Podcorn or Anchor or anybody like that. I just reached out to a company and said, hey, I got this show. Are you interested in sponsoring? And that's how it started. And then that's what I've been doing with a lot of people. And it goes back and forth. And obviously, sometimes you do better than other times. But I just reached out because my experience with Podcorn and a variety of other places is that I get no bites. 
And also when I start explaining to my sponsor through a phone call or a Zoom call, you know, I start making a real case on them. And I start making a real, you know, saying, hey, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. This is the direction I'm in. And because I technically am not with my show on a podcast format and that's a whole different ball game once you get into that because my other show pop out of my comics lounge has almost 150,000 downloads with no marketing put into it so and that is not monetized yet and almost every episode has eight to a thousand plays um and so that should give an idea 800 to a thousand plays so uh, that's all i'm gonna say but you know obviously this is a whole big thing i teach how to podcast mm-hmm. so if somebody wants to learn how to podcast you know there it's on my kickstarter 50 bucks we'll spend an hour to two hours and you can ask any question from building an interview to building a show to monetization to finding your audience and uh i talk about this because i used to teach a class that was about eight hours that i'm no longer involved in and yeah so and that was a little bit pricey it was about 16 dollars a month that class um so obviously there's a lot of stuff that i could teach people on and uh, it's on my kickstarter conversations in pop culture season three and uh but we don't have to talk too much about that you know because because i'd rather talk about anime and comics and pop culture way more interesting than podcasting i promise oh yeah and you know i would eventually try to grow it and i think finding a small sponsorship would probably help and maybe that sponsorship will give me the avenue to grow the podcast. So that may be the route. Instead of get the sponsor first and then grow it. That might be a possible route. So, yeah, yeah, So, so, so I mean, as far as, as for me, um, I have been doing my show for, for obviously, you know... Before I got my sponsor, I was doing it for about a year and a half, and I was proving the concept, and also my other show was about seven years before that, so I have a little bit of a track record, but even still, you know, I mean, I'm not asking a lot of money how much I charge for a sponsorship. I'm asking more now for my next sponsorships because I've proven the track record at this point, but... You know, one of the things is that if you say, hey, it's five bucks an episode, I mean, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you could start off even doing $3 an episode. And so if there's a company out there, and look, I mean, if you said to me, hey, Andrew, do you want to advertise on my show? And you quoted me saying, I'll sell you 10 episodes for 30 bucks. I might say yes, because it's dirt cheap for me. And if you say, hey, the sponsorships don't come out of the episode, I might take a gamble on that because that's how I run my project. Yeah. You know, I'm cheap enough that this stays forever on my show and on my episodes. So that's how I function is that it's a very different entity. I think, and I just think people have to say, hey, look, let me just throw something out there. I've seen people do sponsorships, and their first hundred have been for a dollar. Because once you get one, you then, for the next one, can charge a dollar fifty, and then you can just slowly increase it all the way up. And I've seen that, because once you get one sponsor, I say, hey, you know, Mixum is working with me. This is how it works. And then somebody says, hey, Mixon's working with you. Maybe I want to get involved, too. And then you have credibility. So, and look, look, I 
get flack for this on Facebook where people are like, oh, you suckered somebody. I'm like, well, you know, I did bring them over five figures of business. So they really got suckered, guys. Mix them by them paying me X and me bringing them five figures over a 12X rate of return. I don't know. I call that success. Yeah. I don't even think that, you know, the algorithm plays into it, and also another niche area where an algorithm might actually be very very more impactful in plot is mecha anime. So what do you think about mecha anime? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a huge Gundam fan. Um, I, I love... I love war anime, I love robots, fighting robots. I love like the Super Sentai genre and gigantic robots and I love, you know, you know, Gundam, I love Gundam Wing. I love anything to do with like robots fighting each other. Majestic Prince was great. Um Captain Earth was, was okay. I was I didn't love Captain Earth, but I didn't hate Captain Earth. Yeah. Valverave and uh, yeah, I just grew up on that type of stuff. And you know, I'm a huge Gundam fan, um, and I love every Gundam. <laughs> Some Gundams are better than others, yeah, but, they are. but they I, have, I have about 75 bucks in Amazon money for my birthday that just passed, and I'm trying to figure out what I should buy that I don't have in Gundam right now, and it's a problem because I have Gundam Wing, I have the original Gundam, I have Zeta. Um, I have Char's Counterattack in Blu-ray. I have Warm Pocket. I have 08 MS Team, and I have a bunch of other Gundam stuff out there. And I just don't want to spend fifty bucks for Gundam narrative. Yeah, I understand that. And you know, um, it's funny that you mentioned like Super Sentai and that genre. Is I actually did a recent podcast. And recording with Spider-Man Japan, which actually Toei launched that series before they launched Super Sentai. Spider-Man Japan proved to be a very successful model for like a franchise like Super Sentai to start out as. See, I don't know much about that, but, yeah. but obviously I know when things sort of, you know go and, and, and push forth yeah. and models and obviously I mean I think the Super Sentai model has worked I think even you know what Japan does with a bunch of heroes yeah. it works and obviously I mean why break if something works why not just copy it first saying invent the wheel all over again oh yeah and so obviously I don't know the full extent to that model but I think it works and uh, with Spider-Man Japan, actually, I was able, what I found is that they introduced the Mechazoid transforming robot, and they used that model in Super Sentai. The success of a project for Marvel in Japan, and Toei being the one to do it, knowing the culture of what Japan was, and how the show would be advertised in that country... Is very inclusive in the in how they started it because they found something that worked and then just replicated it in another show and a little bit slightly different idea. Yeah, 
no, I, I definitely think that, you know, obviously, I don't know the full extent yeah. and, you know, but why not replicate something that's not broken? I mean, that's how I view everything is that, I mean, my, my entire show and how I run my business, it is very much a template and understanding a cultural in Japan and then engaging in that and then pushing that forth, you know, obviously it makes a lot of sense and what they did and all that stuff. So it doesn't surprise me. And, you know, I find it, the mecha anime to be really strong world building, animation being like very detailed, the transition for anime itself to be more mainstream. Like when Gundam first came out, it challenged what previous animation projects did, but also its appeal to the attention to small details and instead of static characters, you actually have more moving animation. I think is which is great when it introduced that idea. Yeah, no, I mean, I think anime has evolved dramatically. Obviously, in 1970s, when Gundam came out, mm. there was still a lot of movement, but the original Gundam is not the same as, you know, Gundam, you know, Hathaway, that's the latest Gundam that just came out, where there has been a massive evolution in 43 years of Gundam. I want to say, and as a result, I mean, that's one of the things that is very, very important to understand is that it has become more mainstream. It has obviously evolved over time, and it has gone into new directions, and I also think that anime has become a very respectable genre at this point, where people are like, man, anime is cool again. Anime is something that I want to watch. I mean, look at something like Pokemon. Pokemon is now mainstream. I remember, you know, wearing anime t-shirts in sixth grade and people making fun of me and people making, you know, jokes at me and people, you know, responding to me. And now anime has become a billion dollar and it's it's going to become a multi-billion dollar industry and more like, and I don't doubt there's going to be a 50, 60 billion dollar industry in the next 20 years because look at what happened with Funimation. Funimation got bought by Sony for a hundred million, which I think was undervalued given the current nature of everything. Crunchyroll got bought by, by Sony for 1.175. Um, HD Dive got bought by AMC Networks for a lot of money. We don't know the full extent of that deal, and I'm sure we're going to get it because obviously AMC Networks is a publicly traded company, and there's a variety of other things that are getting bought, and clearly it's a big business at this point. And so all the nerds, all the anime, all the otaku kids, you know, all these big massive corporations are buying anime streaming services to production companies you know distributors because there's real money in it because it's now become mainstream yep. and with that the styles become mainstream the stories okay. become mainstream and even the alternative stuff in the anime world has become really interesting and so it's good for me because i guess the nerds won won this round because uh, yeah. as a nerd and as an anime guy watching in fourth grade and being a little bit offbeat and all throughout high school, people going, oh, nobody was teasing me too much, but people were looking at me weird. And 
now we run it. All, all the stuff that I was like, all the old manga I have of like all the stuff that you can't find now is worth real money. And so, you know, it's good to be an anime fan. It's oh, yeah. good to be that. And fast forward, you know, 20 years later, all the anime comic kids are running shop right now and are yeah. making bank on their collectibles. And you think of the funny part that, you know, it being mainstream in the focus of shows being bought, studios being accessible, catalog online, online streaming, all of that is very successful into the I, the starting up of anime being more mainstream. It not only influences the people who make it, the studios who run it, but also the websites that stream it. So... If you have a large streaming audience watching this particular anime it's booming in Japan, that similar popularity wave could take fold in like another country like the United States. But when you get introduced in the algorithm, anime being to a global audience, take a company like Netflix. They have over 192 countries where they individually dub and subtitle their episodes of the anime they have. You know, they're launching this original anime business model and they're dubbing in native languages where they'll... I'll I'll one-up you. Sorry to interrupt. I'll one-up you with Crunchyroll. So what happens with Crunchyroll is that, and it's it's a step away from Netflix, what Crunchyroll does is that they take it, it airs in Japan, an hour later, it's in the U.S. in subtitles. So, English easy. So, right then and there, you're taking something that just aired in Japan, and people in America are seeing it an hour later. So, if Attack on Titan comes out at 2 o'clock in Japan, or 8 o'clock, and then you factor in the time difference, it's going to hit the U.S. at 3, 3.30 uh, by Crunchyroll. So, immediately, we're getting a subtitled position. Now, where that gets really fun is then Crunchyroll has subtitles a little bit later and sometimes instantly in Portuguese, in Spanish, in France, and all of a sudden, we're not even talking about dubbing anymore. Oh, yeah. We're talking about subtitles. So we're talking about the lowest hanging fruit. And I think Netflix, you could do the same thing. And I would imagine they do that pretty efficiently. Then you get into things like where it's dubbing, where there's an English dub, a Portuguese dub, and now all of a sudden, you're going into a whole new segment where maybe nobody in Argentina has ever seen Attack on Titan before, and now it's in their language. And now all of a sudden, they're watching, and it's an untapped market. You know, there's a video by Mr. Beast, and he just pretty much started dubbing and getting all of his stuff translated and a gamer channel into a language in in, in a foreign country. And what wound up happening is that um, he got like... 1.5 1.5 million subscribers on his, his brand new channel that's just recycled content that's a language accessible. So there is this global audience where yeah. my show is only in English. Imagine if I could get my show 
in Japanese. Now I'm going to be hitting a whole different market and my algorithm is going to change. And what I would do is I would create the Japanese channel, Pop Anime Comics Japan sub title channel if i could dub my entire thing in japanese and now i just opened up a whole new market where the content hasn't changed it's yeah. just been dubbed yeah and it's very interesting what's going on with that oh yeah and it's a big business and obviously i watch all my anime in japanese and i watch it subtitled you know unless there's an english version of it but it's very rare that i watch a show in english yeah and also with the, you know, introduction to that medium, I know, like, Netflix wants to launch all at once, but, like, it's still episodic. So, people, you, you want to get those view ratings throughout the 52-week span of the, ep the season running out, because then you get more money by the each individual views instead of all at once in the bulk section. And I think with uh, so, Netflix, actually it has a lot of Gundam and has it. It has a good catalog. It's just it's not really what compared to what other catalogs have. <laughs> Hulu has a better. I mean, I mean, there, there's so much Gundam stuff out there. Yeah. What were you saying? Like, Hulu has a better catalog than Netflix does, in my opinion, just because of their licensing agreement with uh, Funimation and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because what, what, what's starting to go on right now with, with anime licensing is that obviously Funimation has a huge library of American dub stuff. Yeah. Um, Crunchyroll has, has a pretty decent licensing element as well. Um, and then what's going on now, though, is that we've entered a realm of exclusivity. Yep. So Crunchyroll has some exclusive shows that they have heavily invested in and heavily worked in and heavily have done things in. And so, mm -hmm. you know, obviously that's going on. Netflix has some serious exclusivity. Um, I think they have like Whisk Away or Whisker Away. They have, you know, Seven Deadly Sins, I want to yeah. say, is Netflix. Um, Beastars is a Netflix show and yep. it's super exclusive. And so but we're now entering with Netflix. Netflix has a huge library and it's always rotating. And one of the things about Netflix that's very cool is they own half of their stuff yeah. and that's up forever. And then they don't own half of the anime, but they're always moving things in and out. And so it's very cool in that regard. But I would say that I think Crunchyroll, Netflix, and Funimation all have comparable libraries and catalogs. Um, they just all have different stuff on yeah. their websites and that if I don't, I have a Netflix account. I don't have a Netflix account for anime. I have a Netflix account for a variety of other shows. Yeah. I, I have a Crunchyroll account because I want to watch anime. I want to thoroughly chill out with a beer or some Jack Daniels mm. and watch my anime.
anime. I'm not interested yeah. in anything else Crunchyroll throws me. Where I have a specific subscription to Crunchyroll every year yeah. for that reason. Yeah, I, and I think that's something that people need to understand is that I'm not interested in Netflix for anime. I'm interested in Netflix for Cobra Kai. Yeah, and also with me with. The, the, the interesting about, thing about Netflix, because they're in so many countries, there is a way to access different shows in different locations. Now, that is a little bit more gray area, but there is that option to access other countries' catalogs. But the main difference with uh, Country World branded itself to anime exclusively most of the time is that that is where most of its success is in the anime industry. They have, like, maybe a... Like so, just to talk about Crunchyroll and their metrics. Crunchyroll, the reason why Crunchyroll went for $1.175 billion is they have access and information and emails for 70 million people. Yeah. So, they have access to 70 million people and users at one point or another and data on. Mm-hmm. Now, out of that 70 million, 3 million are paid customers. So even having 3 million paid customers, it is a big deal to say I have 3 million customers that are paying me $80 a year or $7.99 a year or $6.99. All that stuff matters yeah. because all of a sudden you have a big revenue stream. And then on top of that, people buy Crunchyroll items. People yeah. go to cons. They sponsor events. And they're all over the place. Now, Funimation went for $100 million because they have significantly less data points and components. And that's something that is very important to understand is that Netflix has, I think, over 120 million, possibly 180 million users. And so going and out of the, and all of Netflix is paid, minus maybe 20 million who get a free trial for their first month. Yeah. And so all of this factors in to what is being used. I think yeah. WWE Network, I'm a huge wrestling fan, has significantly less than those two things. And that's why their network isn't worth as much money. But Crunchyroll, when you have 70 million emails, and not every person is still on there, but you at one point had 70 million users or emails that you could send an email blast to. Yeah. You know, obviously that carries a lot of weight, and that's oh, yeah. why Sony bought them for $1.175 billion. And it's very, very important to understand that Crunchyroll is legitimately 11 times bigger than Funimation ever oh, yeah. will be. And, and it's bigger because not only did all of their users are mostly paying customers, they also are paying customers for so many different reasons. And anime, their original anime sector is just one niche that they want to cap to do content with. And they also started the trend, well, they mainstream the idea of original anime content as well. Yeah, Netflix definitely has done that. Um, with that, and also Netflix is targeting a broad component. Nobody comes to Netflix for anime. And we said, if you said, hey, why do you have a Netflix account, Andrew? I have it because you have Cobra Kai, you have Cowboy Bebop, you have The Queen's Gambit, you have, you know, House of Cards that was on, Orange is the New Black. All that stuff is the reason why I had 
you know, a Netflix account. Yeah. It's the fact that you have B-stars on there, great. The fact that you have some Naruto movies, awesome. That, to me, doesn't influence me one way or the other. Oh, yeah. Because all the anime I want to watch is on Crunchyroll, Funimation, or I will go buy it if it's not on there on Amazon for legitly... 50 bucks if I love the series enough like Outlaw Star for instance I love Outlaw Star I think Outlaw Star is an amazing show I think Outlaw Star is a lot more digestible than Cowboy Bebop is Um, and Cowboy Bebop misses the point with some people but I think it's the idea and I love Cowboy Bebop the idea is that I think that's something that people understand but it's very interesting because I love this topic. So oh, this yeah. this is one of my favorite topics to talk about is media, where it's going, and what's happening with it. Because, obviously, I have stock in some media companies. I happen to own a lot of AT&T. Um, and one of the things is that I understand what's going on where media is getting very complicated. So, yeah, obviously, I, I love this topic of understanding yeah, yeah. a variety of things surrounding it. And also with anime, the people don't understand. The demographic is only... The, there was always going to be a new demographic to open up because the new idea has not been presented yet. So, there's still that new idea for change and how much you can do, not only the idea generation, but also... You know, the new concepts. Or, you know, running the similar trends of other shows. They're just uh, making your own. Making that... Making whatever content you create, there's going to be an audience for it. Now, how much of an audience is dependent on many factors. One is the demographic. If you target the wrong demographic, then you might lose sales because the main source of targeting of advertising is not being spent here when it should be spent here. Also, another thing to consider is integration. How does your story apply into storytelling? Does the world building match what the story tells you? Does scenes in the... Is is there like continuity there? Does it make sense? Now, if it doesn't make sense, what is your edge for the entertainment? Like in Tama, for example, it has a story... But it's very all over the place. It's nonsensical. But the reason why that nonsensical nature does really well is because of the comedy aspect. The comedy there with the parodies of other intellectual properties is just crazy enough for that show to have and to actually do really well because of unique factors like that. And to me, I feel like individual factors to determine anime success is across the board what you can do with it. Yeah, I, I think I think that, that that's a part of it. I also think it's the idea of how much marketing is put into it. I also think that, you know, some concepts are easier than others. To, to explain and also some stories are just written better you know it goes down to, to really I think what is uh, I'll, give, I'll give a great example a pirate princess Fina or Fena uh, that show was a disaster yep to say the least to put it in the nicest way possible where 
you had a bunch of things and I thought that like she was a pirate and this is this is this is how I interpreted the entire show and thought how it was gonna go. Is that she was a pirate who basically became a noble and then her crew or her mother is like descendant or sister or, or, or aunt comes rescue her and then she goes and becomes a pirate she's being pursued by the British Royal Navy and that's how I thought that show was going to go and there was going to be other forces that were wanted her to go back to being a noble and that show was a disaster. It had nothing to do with pirates. It was a horrible name for it and if they gave me a different name for the show I would have had a different expectation yep. and I think that's also part of it where that show was a disaster it made no sense whatsoever and legitimately we abandoned the pirate theme two episodes in and I'm like what are we doing here and it was a disaster in every sense of the word and I think that's also part of the issue sometimes is you know you just have a bad story it's also and no matter what you do sometimes story's the, bad well it's also smaller projects sometimes smaller projects can do really well if done right but they have a disadvantage when compared to larger projects because they don't have the funding so to meet that demand to compensate for well since we don't have as much funding what can we do to mark ourselves differently and one way to do that is strategically use the money you have to strategically plan out the project through advertising to the marketing to actually achieve the low budget into something more than to be like a success of some sort I believe. And just yeah, because also, also with, with shorter projects, if you have 12 episodes, it is harder to tell a very well done story in 12 episodes, yeah. which is a little under six hours. This is actually under a lot less than six hours. It's probably more like five hours when you when you put brass tacks to it. Yeah. Um, and the, the whole thing is that because you have to eliminate the the fat, you have to have everything. And there's little wasted motion per se. Yeah. First thing, if you have a 500 episode series that you have funding for, you can take as much time where you could take those 10 episodes to develop a character. Naruto's a great example of this, where we can take the fact that he becomes very much on that first mission where that mission is stretched out and it's about seven episodes too long in reality yeah but if you know that you have 200 episodes it doesn't matter yeah. if you develop a character instead of in three episodes you take seven to develop that character a little bit fleshed out because now yeah. you don't have to you have the room to do it and with a 12 episode project. series you don't have that room and so you gotta develop that character in five minutes or less yeah. and or maybe you got you got one episode to develop six characters and you have your second episode to develop the other six and you have ten episodes to play with them and this is one of the discussions that happens a lot in comics when you're doing a miniseries. If you have 50 issues, you can develop a character very well and transform them and really have complex issues and ideas. It is very difficult to do that. I'll give a great example of a show that did that. There's 
two shows that come to mind, 91 Days in the anime world did it really well, where the show takes place in 91 days. Legitly, every episode in 91 days is has no wasted motion. And then Odd Taxi, which is another one, is a show that had no wasted motion. And when you think something is being wasted, you realize really quickly that that wasn't a wasted motion yeah. position. And so that's something that I think people need to understand is that if you have 12 episodes, you know, you can't be screwing around with it. Yeah. And also with shorter projects, the best adaptation for shorter projects to incorporate is something that is similar in the manga sense. Like, if they said the manga has like 12 issues, well, in reality, a shorter anime can do better with that because the storyline is similar to the length of the episodes. And when you have, uh, say, a long-running franchise with 200 issues or 200 chapters, you get into the problem of, and you only have the budget for a 16-episode tw- um, season, you have only two options there. You can either run the, like, the first couple of chapters, make that into one season, and then hope for the anime season to be renewed for another season to continue along. Or, what some people try to do is smash it all at once, and it doesn't... It, the continuity is lost, and you're trying to squish too much into one thing that you can't grow on. Yeah, and, and I think that that's the other thing, too, is that also, if you have a brand new show... And you know you have a long manga that that has fifty you know episode fifty chap fifty books right so you have you know four hundred eighty chapters you know if you don't know you're gonna get a second season or a third season you have to figure out saying hey what are we doing here you know at a certain point you can make the argument with Naruto that and I don't know if this is true or not but for argument's sake this is a good example is that if Naruto knew they only had 50 episodes and they didn't know if they were going to get a second season you you might have to go and try to condense the first half in Naruto all 27 volumes into something I think that's sort of what happened with Fullmetal Alchemist the first round is that they were trying to condense a lot of stuff in because they didn't know if they were going to get as far as they were able to get FMA also had the problem of not following the manga because the manga was still being produced when they were producing the episodes that, that's another issue in a lot of ways with this is that, you know, this is one of the issues with Attack on Titan that happened. And luckily, I think the people at Attack on Titan and whoever was running that shop and that project was like, well, we're going to have to wait till more of the manga comes because Attack on Titan follows the manga very, very, very closely. So well, one of the things that I think is very important to understand is that you know, what I'm saying is that if you don't know you're to get a second season you have to figure out a way either you're going to follow it or you're going to condense it or you're going to have an adaptation because when you know so with naruto at a certain point they knew they were going to have funding for the rest of however they want to do and then they could take their time and so when you have money it makes it easier to run something because you know you have the funding to do it and then you have 
must work backwards. One Piece is a great example of this. It doesn't matter anymore. One Piece is beyond profitable. So they know that they can do 48 episodes a year or 36 episodes a year, and that's a season. And they can take their time because they're going to get season 21, 22, 23. Now, where it gets interesting and what we're speaking about with Fullmetal Alchemist is that the anime world is tricky where sometimes a manga isn't done yet and then what do you do to produce the anime? You know, look, look at, you know, Game of Thrones. The show ended in a different fashion because the books weren't done yet. And so now that gets really tricky because you have a divergence. Now, we all know what's going to happen with that at some point is fast forward. Whenever they have, they're going to have season nine B, for instance, which is more of how the books ended. They're going to have a movie. They're going to have like a reimagining how, you know, seasons eight, nine and ten, for instance, should have been played out according to the book and then you're going to have as a fan a choice because we all know HBO is going to eventually do that there's too much money involved there's too much demand for it and people will sucker it up and buy it because people love Game of Thrones and they're willing to do that so that's something that's going to happen eventually because it already happens in anime a lot well also I think this, this is like my jam yeah this brings up with the with Bleach, for example, because they, the reason it took, they stopped with the the current season. What they did is just ended the series, not like with the official ending, but they ended until they could actually relaunch at a later date to finish the series with the final season, which I think was a great idea when they did that. It was on hiatus for like five to ten years. But the reason why I was on hiatus was the actual finishing of the manga. They wanted to stay current, so they didn't want to stay away, straight away from the original adaptation. They wanted to stay with the storyline to finish it. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes sense to some degree. I also think that at a certain point, there also gets to be too much money. And also... You know, things things are complicated. Also, demand for stuff changes, ideas change. It's kind of like if your show is sort of falling out of popularity or even the concept of your show is in a rough position, you know, all that stuff maybe going on a two, three, four-year hiatus is not such a bad idea. And, you know, now that Bleach is back, and look, I have actually never seen Bleach. I've read Bleach. I know exactly what happens in the story. I know the ending to it. I thoroughly enjoyed reading Bleach to, to some degree up to a certain point, but I then was too deep in. But that's the idea is that, you know, I don't think it's a bad idea. And also, you know what it is? What, what happens in society is that it happened during 2020 is that Avatar The Last Airbender came out on Netflix. Everybody's home. And it 
was like the number one show in the United States because people were watching it who are my age and maybe you have a kid and he's five and now you're watching it with your kid and Cora two weeks later came out and now you're tearing through it because you're home, your kid's home, there's nothing to do and you're watching two, three, four episodes of a show that is very much family friendly and a great show and then it spawned a whole new generation of you know, people were interested in Avatar Last Airbender and a variety of other things happened. So obviously that's something that I think happens and that very much could happen with Bleach where people are home and people, I'm 29. And so people might be saying, hey, look, I grew up watching Bleach and why wouldn't I now want, if I have a kid, you know, I think Bleach is a relatively safe show. It's not that ridiculous. If it's on, you know, Crunchyroll or Netflix, maybe, you know, we fire it up and we watch it after dinner because everybody's home now and with COVID. And so that might have also contributed to some degree because it's fairly accessible and there's also nostalgia. And I don't know about you, but my parents showed me stuff they were watching when they were growing up. And there's a nostalgic element to it. So obviously, and I'm probably going to do the same thing where when I have kids, I'm going to be showing my kids all the animes I watched at, at certain ages. Like my kids are going to, me and my kids, when I have kids, are going to watch Avatar The Last Airbender. We're going to watch The Legend of Court. We're going to watch all this good anime like Dragon Ball Z and possibly Gundam and some other stuff that really was from my generation and what I grew yeah. up on. And so I think that's also a contributing factor with Bleach because Bleach is a show that was relevant when I was a kid and when I was 11, 12, 13 years old. True. Um, I really honestly, with everything going on, there's so many routes you can take with anime. The, you know, like, in the anime world, I don't really feel like it's like a big problem when you have creative differences because you can eventually talk about those creative differences or not have the project at all. While in the movie world, they just don't care that you have those creative differences and they will just get rid of you and get someone else to agree with their ideas. And I don't think anime has... Well, I think anime more has like the cooperation aspect than what movies have. Maybe. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, in, in the anime world, I think that, you know, at this stage, projects happen because people need content and... Excuse me. Oh. I'm sorry. Um, I think I think you know you know people have creative differences, but I also think that with a lot of anime, there a lot of animes have a source material called the manga, and obviously it's referred back to it, and so I think that also helps a lot versus with movies where movies in many fashions do not have source material beyond a screenplay or a concept and while that is changing a variety of things really are the movie is the original source material and while things like 
get optioned and things get optioned in a lot of ways from comic books that is still very much rare i mean you can't sit here and tell me that you know shang chi while it was based off the comic that is a very original source material the eternals just came out on disney you know it's very much a source material it's not source material minus the characters where a lot of that stuff and elements of it are taken from comics and a lot of the eternal comics but it's also the idea that there is you know it is sort of original where in anime and even if there are creative differences i feel like there's still the manga that has to have some connection to it for marketing purposes how to sell something and also last thing a studio really wants is horrific backlash and people getting really pissed at that studio for doing something because then that hurts everybody including the creator of that project so and of the manga it hurts sales and then you really have a hard time packaging everything together and becomes a marketing snafu mm-hmm. yeah i I really think that the strategic side to, to the marketing really impacts what is successful, what's not. Also, if you have a, a campaign that advertises the wrong thing and you get people's expectations up and then it's not what it is, that also creates rift in maybe the future of the series. It could also turn totally blind second and actually be so successful that now you have a totally different avenue than you originally tried to market for. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and, and I think, I think you, know, you know, a lot of this does definitely go back into, you know, um, how things are presented, marketing, how a show is described is a big one. Um, you know, there's plenty of shows that I watched the first episode. And I'm like, this is a disaster, and I don't want to continue. And you know, there are things that I won't watch. And you know, it's it's, it's definitely. I think I think with anime, expectations matters. And I, I have this problem now because, legitly, I have been a Crunchyroll customer for since 2012, so almost 10 years now. Um, April will be 12 years, and one of the problems that I have as an individual is that I have watched a lot of things on Crunchyroll and I've watched a lot of good anime and I am now running out of things to watch in the anime world where I haven't seen everything but there's certain things I just can't get into and I've seen things like Code Geass and it's because I'm looking for certain expectations and I'm right now in the middle of a few shows but again, it's a real problem for me because on my Thursday night, I, after, you know, six o'clock on Thursday, I am off duty and I want to sit and open up a beer and watch six hours of anime and I want to go to sleep. And yep. I don't know if I have six hours of anime that I can watch because I've legitimately watched so much stuff in the last 10 years. Um, there have been years where I've watched a thousand episodes of anime. Oh, okay. Um, and there is okay. You say there's not enough to watch. Well, there was enough to watch. The entire ten thousand plus uh, animes that have been introduced are so much that a human life cannot watch all of them. No, 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 no. 
know, my, my, my issue here is that not everything is great. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a real problem. So, like, I am out of military anime to watch to some degree, or I haven't found the next thing to watch on Crunchyroll. Because I look at, you know, military, I look at historical, and I'm like, this concept seems so broken. It seems so stupid. It seems that this is amateur hour. And, like, I watched Full Metal Alchemist, and Full Metal Alchemist is a brilliant, brilliant show. I'm watching, you know, a few other things like Restaurant from Another World. That's a great show. But that's just it. Those shows are far and few in between. And I'm not saying that you can't find something like that, but it's a real complicated dynamic when you've gone through all the greats. So I've gone through Code Geass. I've gone through, you know, Gundam Double O. I've gone through Gate. I've gone through Saga Evil. Sonia of Evil, something like that. I forget the, the whole thing. I've gone through 86, the first season, and I'm yet working on the second season. I've gone through a variety of other things that were really great, and now I have to go and figure out what is the next batch of great shows to watch or great movies to watch or yeah. great things to, to go in. It's a real problem where I'm like, I'm out of ideas here on really thought-provoking shows. I mean, I've watched Garden of Sins, mm -hmm. and that's a very thought-provoking show in a lot of ways that deals with a lot of complicated things. And that's the type of show that, like, you sit and you watch it, and you actually have to think about what you watched. Yeah. You know, I've watched, you know, Daughters of Mona Mosque, and that's another show that you have to think in about what you just watched. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff that, that, like, I've gone through in the last 10 years. Okay. And I have that problem as an anime fan now where I'm like, what is really good to watch and what isn't good to watch? What is enjoyable to watch? What is thought-provoking? And what are the top military animes that I have not seen yet? And that, that's a complicated thing when you're in that circumstance because I consume so much content. Mm-hmm. Do you have the same problem with comics as well? Or do you feel like comics... Um, I, I have this... I have a little less of that problem. Um, because right right now, um, I have a Comixology subscription. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is that I just look and I'm like, hey, what's interesting? And I'm right now staying within a particular company called Cinescope. Mm -hmm. And about 70 to 80% of their library is on Comixology. So I can go... And I could just go through back issues from like 10 years ago that I'm just catching up on. And not all of it is good, but I'm like, hey, I want to see what this company has done 10 years ago with a particular character. Or I want to read the origin story of Robin or Van Helsing that Senesco put out. And so that, I don't have that problem with you know comics and then also there's just a variety of other things where i'm like hey let me read some batman for instance i really enjoyed or i never finished a certain book let me go read that um i have a little bit less of that problem but there's also the idea that you know it's different if i'm 
digitally watching something and it's just a single issue because a single issue will take me 10 minutes to read it's fine and then if i like that first issue i will then go continue the problem with with anime is that it could take two three episodes to get into something and it's just so hard to find like a show and then it's hard to find like a show that has 50 episodes that i then can really sink my teeth in because i tear through anime and and it's and i'm very honest about it. it's a real problem for me because it's i have the same problem with reading right now where i need once i find something i consume everything in that within a month or even less like i've torn through a 50 episode anime series in three weeks because it was that good like double O literally yeah. was consumed in three weeks for me. It was that good while I was doing four interviews a week. And I was working forty hours. It was that good. True. I I I need to probably watch more anime myself, but one thing that I've been doing so much more is that the discussion about anime is so enticing. Oh, it's it's so interesting talking about this. I mean, it, it, it is. I don't I don't have much discussions where I do when I'm interviewing voice acting. We talk about all that stuff. Um, but you know, one, one, one of the things is that um, yeah, no, it's 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 um, I, I produce a lot of content a year too, which is crazy. So. I, I mean, I find this stuff to be interesting in talking about it because it's such a unique genre and what's going on with everything is kind of, you know, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the community is very diverse. It, it, it's really welcoming to my aspect. Because you have so many people of so many genres and so many likes and dislikes that some people actually have a stronger opinion about others about a particular anime. One person can have, this anime is super cool. And the other person is like, this is super cringe. Why are you watching this anime? And then, you know, that type of uh, back and forth or even opposite or even on the two different ends of the spectrum provides interesting contrast. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's it's very interesting how people view different animes and how people love different things. And for me, I'm 29. And I don't know how old you are. Um, yeah, I'm just 21. How old are you? 21. So, so, so you're, you're, you're a little bit, you know... Sort of, or maybe, maybe, maybe you remember, uh, maybe you don't, but, but one of the things that I think is very interesting is that um, what's happened to me is that it used to be to be an anime fan, you needed to have a core group of animes that you watched. And when you went to a con, there was a core group. So you needed to know Full Metal Alchemist, you needed to know Dragon Ball Z, you needed to know Sailor Moon, Code Geass, Double, Gundam Double O, you know, Cowboy Bebop, you know, Naruto, possibly Bleach, One Piece. You need to know, like, 10 out of the 15. And now what's happened is that to be an anime fan, to be almost like an anime card holder. And now what's happened is that you don't need to know any of that. 
where you can be just into all these obscure shows and that it doesn't matter if you don't know One Piece, you don't know Naruto, you don't know Cowboy Bebop, you don't know the basics, you don't know Code Geass. Like, it used to be that if you went to an anime con and you weren't watching Code Geass, nobody kicked you out of the con, but there was a lack of respect given to people. If you didn't know Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood, there's a lack of respect given. And so that's something that has changed dramatically in the anime world where I've been and I'm you know at a con and people have never seen Cowboy Bebop people have not watched Naruto people have not watched Code Geass and I'm like this is really good anime maybe not Naruto but Cowboy Bebop's a classic somebody's never seen Gundam before mm-hmm. any of them and it's very awakening because I'm from the generation and it's old school generation that people had a classic understanding really from 2000 to 2010 and had a basis understanding Yu Yu Hakusho is another one where people watched that and that has significantly changed where there is no core competency in anime that you need to consume and that has become a very different thing and that is very fascinating to me um And then furthermore, I have a very interesting expertise because I used to do a lot of anime panels um, and I talk about the golden age of anime with Asama Tezuka. So I go back to Astro Boy, Princess Sapphire, Blackjack, um, and, you know, there's a variety of others on the Phoenix and Mm -hmm. several others. And that's something that I think that also, when I do that panel, I get people who know that stuff, I get people who don't. And there is a lost generation that people don't know what Astro Boy is and who Blackjack is and who Tezuka is and even the foundations and all the way going up through Beji Matsumoto and Satoshi Khan and a variety of other directors and Oshi and it creates a very interesting discussion when people don't know this. I mean I have you know modern directors, I do a panel called Modern Directors who are not Miyazaki and I talk about some of these people and then I also am planning to build out another panel with legendary directors who are not Miyazaki. Oh, yeah. And there's a lack of information in this community with mm-hmm. all these new fans. And the saying is that if you don't know your history or your basis, you know, mm-hmm. you're doomed to repeat it. And you're also doomed to, to miss a lot of information. Because with somebody that Oshi does, who did Ghost in Shell, I mean, you have to look at directors like Hasoda and Shinkai, and that's their basis, you know, and it's very interesting when we really dive into stuff like that. So I think I think it's 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 a very fascinating position for me because I'm 29. I'm not that old. Yeah. There is a massive difference between the 18 year olds who are going to cons and me as a 29 year old. I just recently turned 29, and we're talking an 11 year gap, and it is literally it should be a hundred because there's such a difference in, in education and understanding and maybe maybe I'm a freak at this maybe I'm the odd one out but I understand a lot of history about anime yeah. I understand the fundamentals yeah. and that's what's lacking in this community in a lot of ways and with me the reason why I came like I know about Astro Boy and all these different directors is that at first 
before I even launched the podcast, I was a blogger. So I would be reading, reading, reading on so many different subjects that I knew all this, like, I did the history of anime, so I did all this, then I did this. So, like, there's different factors that I was exposed to that typical anime fans don't necessarily always have. Because I was, I was a blogger at first. MC Anime was a blog. And then I transitioned that blog because I didn't have the time anymore and I wasn't making anything off of it to a live stream. That live stream now became the podcast. So that transition for me finding the format I really like is the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Um, I, I started out as a website. Um, and then what wound up happening is that... Um, I then, and then B became, you know, obviously a, a podcast, a second podcast, and that's how I started. And obviously, I was doing panels, and I was just interested in the history element of it. Yeah. And I think that that's something that you know people really um, didn't understand and, and, and haven't realized is that, and there's a lack of history with it. And I think I think it's a real shame that yeah. that that's missed because I think a lot of people, if they actually knew the history, they understood the history. You know, I think that that they would yeah. get a lot more out of anime and comics and pop culture. And it's it's unfortunate where you know, but again, you know, people are always shocked, and I'm like, hey, some of the best anime was during the 1980s. Oh yeah. I mean, so some of the best stuff ever produced is like Princess Sapphire. You know, Blackjack is great. Actually, Blackjack was produced in 2004, but even still, and I think a lot of people miss a lot of that good stuff. I mean, the 80s were bitching, man. Like, it, it, I make this joke with my friends. I say, what would you rather have? Would you rather 2010 to 2020 or 1980 to 1990? And my friend's like, well, you know, all this stuff came out in the 1980s. That That's great. But all this stuff did come out in 2010 to 2020 in the last 10 years. Yep, yep, and yep. But I know I know which side I'm on. I mean, I would pick the 1980s over any other genre just because of the amount of good stuff that came out in cartoons and anime oh, yeah. during the 80s. Far out beats 2010 to 2020. And that means I'm giving a brotherhood and attack on Titan. And those shows are amazing. But it's, that's how good the 1980s yeah. were as far as anime, comics, pop culture. Yeah. I mean, Gundam Zeta was in the 1980s. I mean, Gundam Zeta is arguably the greatest Gundam ever. It is it is unbelievably good. And it is a ballad on war. Yep. And it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of the best shows you could ever watch. Well, that, I think this is a good transition for the closing of the episode. Uh, we discussed a lot. Funny enough, how we're going to call this episode, because it's uh, particularly challenging. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you just call it, I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. That's just, that's the episode right there. I'm sorry. And you just leave it at that. It'll probably be your highest rated episode ever. Who knows? It might be. <laughs> But uh, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm sorry, everybody. You just leave it at dot 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 dot, and then that's all you leave it as. And, and I think I think I think you'll get so many views, and it'll be great. Yeah, and uh, 
that concludes this episode. If uh, introduce your name again, if people that didn't see it. So, so my name is Andrew Davis. I'm Pop Anime Comics. Um, yeah, pretty much. I'll just shoot myself in front of myself real quick. Um, obviously, I can be found. Pop Anime Comics on YouTube, Pop Anime Comics on Facebook. Um, I do have a Kickstarter running, so I do appreciate everybody supporting. And you can get a guest spot if you produce a comic, you're a voice actor, wrestler. Um, I have metal cards, which are super cool. I have postcards. I have other rewards and pledges. And uh, we're 76% funded. We have, I think, 18 days as of the 14th. We're ending on the 31st around 8 or 9 o'clock uh, p.m. So Eastern time. And and, uh, I appreciate all support. Um, it's Conversations in Pop Culture Season 3. Or you can type Pop Anime Comics mm-hmm. in there and it'll come up. And yeah, no, I appreciate all support. Um, but more importantly, I know money's tight for everybody. Um, I just appreciate people listening to my show, people checking me out. I do anywhere from four to six interviews a week on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. And this will eventually be coming into a podcast under Conversations in Pop Culture. And I appreciate all support and everything that everybody pushes out for me because well you know i'm nothing without my fans and that's how i feel so thank you for having me on and uh yeah no i definitely appreciate any media i can get and i hope to see a bunch of your fans checking out what i'm doing and having a good time because that's all we do every week on my show me and my guests who i interview interviewing we just have a good time talking about them us and things that are going on in the world and they got some really cool projects coming out so check the check it out and i hopefully we'll see everybody there okay thank you this concludes the episode and we will i'll be back with another episode coming up you'll be surprised what it'll be thank you so much bye